turn now to Hebrews chapter 11. That's the chapter we'll be looking at as we continue our sermon series from the epistle to the Hebrews. We're slowly making our way through this chapter that gives us examples of those who had saving faith from the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints that are presented to us here. Just want to say, don't get the wrong idea when I say Old Testament saints, when I use the word saint. That word literally means a holy one, and it's uh, one who is set apart to God as one of his people. So if someone is a part of the great assembly of God's people, the church that professes the Lord Jesus Christ together with their children, they're part of the house and family of God, part of the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, the sign was the circumcision of the males of the household. And in the New Testament, this sign is baptism of those who are in the house. And in 1 Corinthians 7 tells us that a family with one believer uh, makes all of the house holy so that the children are also considered to be set apart to God. And uh, that there, if one parent is an unbeliever and the other is a believer, then the children are still regarded as holy. And of course, if both parents are, then they are indeed. But the list of Old Testament saints in Hebrews 11 gives us examples of the saving faith that some of the well-known saints of the Old Testament had. And it's very, very helpful for us to have these examples. The Jews to whom Hebrews was written were quite familiar with these people. They knew all of the stories about them, and so you could just mention them briefly, and it drew up the whole account of, of their life and what they had done. They were very, very familiar and uh, we ought to be too as Christians, but of course some of us have not been uh, very long as Christians and we may not have even had an opportunity to have ever read the story that I read today before. So these stories are very, very helpful to us because they're accounts of, of people that trusted God and we see the blessing that came to them through their faith. Now that Jesus the Messiah had come, these Hebrews to whom this was written were among those who had professed faith in Jesus as Savior. And uh, that had been the Savior that had been promised to their people from the ancient times. So these stories went even more to them, these accounts. But because so many of the Jews had rejected Christ, including their official leaders, those who followed him were also rejected. That would be a very difficult position to be in because their families were were tied together very closely from years and years of history, and now to be outcasts of those people. But when they looked back and really carefully read about those who had gone before, they could see that those who are faithful in the past had also been rejected, even by the established church of their day. It put lots of pressure on those who believed. Believing in Jesus in such a hostile climate meant that uh, they lost, it could mean that they lost their jobs or that their businesses were not patronized and they were rejected by their own loved ones and relations, even that they might be imprisoned or executed. So it was not an easy thing to profess Christ if you were a Hebrew. 
the mention of these persons from the Old Testament then who clung to God through, and His promises through all of those kinds of difficulties was unmeasurably helpful for them. They continued on in faith, these Old Testament saints, despite all kinds of trouble and opposition. Their faith enabled them to believe that God is all that He has said to be and to receive the yet future blessings that were promised to them when they were not experiencing anything comfortable in this world, anything that was pleasant to them. Today, then, we come to verse 20 where we have the example of Isaac, who as an old man demonstrates how he, because he believed, was able to bestow blessing on his sons. Without faith, he could never have done such a wonderful thing. Without faith, he would not have had a blessing to give to anyone. It was only through faith that he even had a blessing from God to give to them because ultimately, God is the only one who can bless or curse. Jacob couldn't bless his children. Isaac couldn't bless his children. It's only God. As John Brown said, faith enabled Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the three that are mentioned in this uh, section, to do what they could not have done without it, pronounce blessings that were fulfilled on their posterity. How, how could anybody do You couldn't tell how your children are going to be blessed in the future unless you had it from God. In this way, then, our text encouraged the Hebrews to continue in their faith, and it encourages us who read it today to continue in our faith. That's why it's given, because we live in a world that is hostile to those who serve God. And it's given for us just like it was given to the people who heard it, first heard it, the Hebrews who first heard it. So let's consider Isaac's example today for our encouragement. Let me just mention, you know, some of you have been in churches that do not uphold the gospel. And you had to go away from those churches. And it was very difficult for you because it brought terrors in the family and all sorts of different things. But you did that because you came to believe. And so you left even people who profess God to come to people who profess Him in truth. And uh, it's, it's a difficult thing to, uh, to make that transition. So this is how we connect in so many ways. So let's consider Isaac's example today for our encouragement. Our text is Hebrews 11.20. Just one verse. But I'll read from uh, Hebrews 11.13 to give you a little bit of context. So give attention now. This is God's holy and infallible word. Hebrews 11, beginning verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And then our text for today, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And there we end the reading of God's word. 
That's what we're told in a very summary statement about Isaac. And again, it would have brought before the uh, people who heard it all of that account that we read earlier from Genesis 25, 19 to 34 and Genesis 27, 1 through 40. So again, as some of you may not be familiar with that, and I know sometimes in reading you might be distracted and that sort of thing, I just want to summarize the story because it's important for you to understand what happened. It's a very interesting story, what happens. There's a lot of things going on. So in Genesis 25, 19 through 21, we have Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, knowing that God has promised to bring forth from their offspring a blessing for them and the whole world. It's not going to come until the future, but a blessing for them and for the whole world that he's going to bring forth from them a seed, a son, a particular son that will bring God's salvation to all the nations. There's no blessing for sinners apart from salvation. And so that promise to them was a promise of that they would be the people that would bring this forth. God answered the prayer for that, well, for that Isaac made for uh, when his wife was barren. Uh, he answered this prayer by giving them twins. And right from the very beginning, the twins were striving in the womb in an unprecedented way. It was extraordinary the way that the, the, the chaos that was, was going on within her, within her. And she said to the Lord, why am I like this? What, what is going on here? He responded with a prophetic oracle. So here we have a pronouncement from the Most High God about the future and what is going to happen. He said, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, when they were born, when they were born we're told that the firstborn was called Esau because he was covered with hair, and the second was called Jacob because he had hold of his brother's heel. He was trying to pull him back, and he wouldn't let go. We know about this is about Jacob later on. He won't let go. He's just like he's tenacious. He's holding on, coming out of the womb that way. You can hardly even imagine, but, but that's what he did. And so he, his name Jacob, which means supplanter, someone that takes someone else's place. And the oracle said he was going to take the place of the firstborn of, of Isaac. So he was destined to do so. Uh, normally the firstborn would have two portions of the inheritance. He'd have a double portion of the inheritance. And uh, the, it'd be divided, you know, among the, the sons. And then the oldest son would have two portions. So it'd be, if there were five sons, it would be divided into six portions. And the older son would get two. Everybody else would get one. That, that kind of a situation. We're told in Genesis 25, 24 through 28, that Isaac and Rebekah then, um, they, they showed favoritism to these sons. Uh, sorry, I got ahead of myself a little bit. Um, the, the name Jacob, so the, the two portions that they had um, meant when the firstborn son also had responsibilities that went with that double portion. He was to be the head of the home. He was to take care of any unmarried uh, daughters that were still in the home or his widowed mother. That's why he had extra resources, had a great responsibility on him. 
He also had the responsibility for leading and guiding the home and ministering things. And he had the responsibility to serve as the priest of the home in those days. It was before they had priests of the Levites. So the priest was in the home, every home. The, the one that was the old man in the home, the elder in the home, he would be the, the priest for his family. And then when he got too old to serve that way, then his oldest son would take on that role and responsibility. So there's a lot that went on here. And uh, with, with this family, of course, there was, there was a whole lot involved in, in being that firstborn son. So uh, th- this, was the, this was the setup of the situation. Uh, you had this, uh, this double portion that was going to go to, um, to, to Jacob instead of Esau. But we're told in Genesis 25, 24 through 28, that Isaac and Rebekah showed favoritism to these sons. Isaac favored Esau, and Rebekah favored Jacob. And so the division that these sons had with each other and contending with each other even before they were born was exacerbated by the parents who saw this division. The father sides with Esau, and the mother sides with Jacob. So now the parents are divided. The family has division. It was a very difficult situation that they were in. Years went by, and the day came that Isaac, you go over to Genesis 27 now, who was old and blind, called Esau to come to him and ask him to go hunting and prepare venison for him, that after eating it, he might bless him. This was especially significant in the case of this family because they, in distinction from other families, had been promised I told you before, that they would bring forth a great nation. That would be the nation of Israel, right? They'd bring forth a great nation that would bring forth the Messiah, that would bring blessing to them and to all the world. And that blessing, of course, as I said to you earlier, would be salvation and communion with God. God's oracle had said that Jacob, even though the secondborn, would be the one who would bring that great blessing, who would have that great blessing of bringing forth that uh, nation. Surely Isaac knew about this oracle. Certainly he knew that his son was named Jacob, supplanter. And we would assume that he must have surely known about the oracle that God gave at this time. About, uh, but, but he proceeds to bestow the blessing on Esau nevertheless. Perhaps he thought, well, this is what we're supposed to do as the firstborn. He did not inquire of God. He did not seek it out. He he seems to know that he's doing something that's not quite right because he doesn't call the rest of the family. He doesn't let them know about it. He just does it as a private thing that we're going to come before the Lord and we're going to do this. He he proposes to do it in secret without calling them together and not telling anyone. It suggests that he knows that what he's doing would at least incur opposition Rebecca hears the proposal of Isaac to Esau. She overhears it. She's eavesdropping and immediately hatches a devious plan. She had to act really fast to, uh, to secure the blessing for Jacob, her favored son. At least that's what she, well, it, it, it works, but it, does, it wasn't necessary for her to do so. God would have worked it out if uh, she hadn't done this. But he, God uses it as a means to bring about his purposes. So you see that in Genesis 27, 5 through 17. So since Isaac is blind, she disguises Jacob with regard to three of the four other senses that he has that work. His sight doesn't work, so she deceives the three of the other four senses. 
how he feels by covering him with the hairy skins, how he smells by using Esau's clothes, clothing him with Esau's clothes, and how the food tastes by making it taste like the venison, putting the spices in it that he would have used and so on. She probably taught Esau how to make this food that his father loved, and uh, she knew about it in any case, and so she prepares the food. And uh, then the voice, you know, that's the voices of brothers are often quite similar, but of course we see that there's a little bit of an issue there, but it's not big enough that it, it interferes with anything because all the other things, Isaac is a bit suspicious, but since the other active senses that he has are, uh, are all f- satisfied, then he, he goes along with it, assuming that it's okay. When Esau shows up, so, so, so uh, Isaac goes ahead and blesses Jacob supposing him to be Esau. And of course, Jacob outright lies about a number of things in this account. And, uh, but he receives that blessing, an oracle spoken from God through Isaac. When Esau shows up from the hunt, 27, 30 through 37, his father realizes that he has been deceived. He trembles violently and declares to Esau that he cannot alter the blessing that it has come forth and it cannot be altered. He knew that he was not speaking a blessing that he, he could bestow, really. It was a blessing that only God could bestow and that he was speaking as a prophet for God. It was an oracle from God. He knew that. So Esau pled and wept, but all Isaac could do was give him a blessing of becoming a great nation and having things in the world and all of that, but not the nation that was destined to bring forth the Messiah. He would not be the one who brought forth that nation. And so the oracle of blessing to Esau promises that, that those earthly things, um, but also it, that he would grow restless and that he would rebel against his brother and will at last be brought under him. A reference to the day of judgment at last. Because Christ is going to reign, that's why if you bless those who are with Christ, then you will be blessed. And if you oppose those who are with Christ, you will be cursed. And you see, Esau could have had blessing. He could have had blessing in the sense that if he had submitted to Jacob and said, God has appointed Jacob to bring forth the salvation of the world. This is a wonderful thing. I want to have salvation. I want to be forgiven for my sins. I'm going to stay with Jacob. I'm going to support him. I'm going to encourage this. Then, then he would have had that blessing. But instead, he was independently wanting to have his own autonomy apart from God and his government. So he rebels and goes out from him. And he receives, ultimately, God's curse for him and his posterity. So the oracle goes forth for all of these things. Though it is not in the portion we read, I want to let you know that although Esau initially has murderous intent toward Jacob for this deception and stealing his birthright, as he says, he sold it to him actually, but, and, and his blessing, so much that Jacob has to flee for safety. But years later, Esau is fine with it. Why is he fine with it? Because he has more portion in this world than Jacob does. He has more fighting men. He has more wealth. He has more than Jacob does. And so he says, well, hey, I'm not any the worse for not receiving this double blood. Because as far as he was concerned, 
the whole intent of the blessing was right now. He said, what do I have with things that are future? Like, it's right now that matters to me. I don't care about something's going to happen after I'm dead. Why would, I, why would that matter to me? He was a profane man. He didn't care about God, really. He, he believed in God. He believed that God gave you stuff. But he didn't really want to know God. He didn't want to live and have communion with God. Like many people today, he did not understand that the blessing of salvation is not about right now. It's not like the prosperity preachers where you, you, know, you come and serve God and then you can have a Mercedes. That's not, that's not, the, that's not the idea. The idea is that you're reconciled to the, to the God from whom you were estranged by sin. And that rather than having God's curse, you have God's blessing. It's, it's a huge thing. And we've got to get it right. Because if we think we're just going to have stuff in this life, then we're, we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be frustrated. So, so let's look at this story. Okay, so this, this is a story that's referred to in Hebrews 11.20. The simple words, again, are these. By faith... Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. He told what was going to happen to both of his sons. Esau got a blessing in this world indeed, and Jacob got a blessing in this world and in that which is to come. It wasn't there was no blessing for Jacob. He was sustained in this world. He had what he needed to carry on, to bring forth the nation, all those things. Esau, though, having prosperity in this world, saw no need for salvation. But Jacob, like Abraham, Isaac, and, well, Jacob, (laughs) Jacob had the, uh, he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God, eternal in the heavens. He was not satisfied if his portion was only in this world. He was only wanted the city whose builder and maker is God. He was content to be a pilgrim and stranger here like Abraham was. He looked for the city eternal in the heavens where righteousness dwells. So now that we have that background, let's consider what we might learn from faith, the faith of Isaac with his blessing Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. First of all, we need to see that here is the most wonderful blessing of all. The blessing with which he blesses Jacob, he says, there's not even a blessing for you, Esau, if it's not sharing in this blessing, if it's not having some, something from your brother, submitting to your brother here, there's nothing. Yeah, I can give you stuff in this world. God, God will give you stuff in this world, but that's nothing in comparison. So what is this blessing? Well, Isaac and his family have been promised this blessing. God had told Isaac's father, Abraham, I will be God to you and to your seed, your descendant. That is everything. He told him, I will bless you and I will make your name great that he would make him into a great nation that would be blessed, and that he would give him a child that would bring salvation to the earth. Isaac and his family wanted this blessing. In fact, they wanted it so badly that they fought about it. (laughs) Even though Esau didn't really understand the blessing, he knew that there was something coming from God, and they were fighting because they wanted God to to do right to them. They wanted God to give give them good things. Now, of course, it's not right for them to do all that clamoring, that deception over the blessing. That was wrong. But what was very right about that? The thing that was very right about that is they believed that blessing came from God and that they wanted to have blessing from God. They knew where blessing comes from. It doesn't just get manufactured out of nothing. It comes from God. They realized that without God's blessing, there could be no happiness. So they're all eager to have it. 
They had mistakes about their understanding of it, but they wanted it and they were right about that. Isaac should have taught them to rejoice in the blessing. And perhaps he didn't really understand fully. And seeing that Jacob was the one through whom the promised nation was to come, he should have told the rest of the family, we've got a great blessing in our family. Jacob here, he's going to be the one who's going to carry all the responsibility to go forward with God's promise to us as a family. And we need to support him and encourage him and pray for him as he serves as a priest to our family and as he brings forth his family in days to come. We've got a wonderful thing going on here. But instead, he set the brothers in opposition to each other. As if having that privilege was, was the thing that mattered. Rather than having the, the blessing that comes through that privilege, which everyone had. In fact, you could have even felt a little bit sorry for Jacob in the sense that uh, he's going to have a really great responsibility laid on him. And Esau could have said, I don't want all that responsibility. I'm happy that I can just go along and, and, and support him and encourage him. So it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to consider. But rather, he sets his son in competition with each other. He brought so much strife and sorrow to his household. It went on for years to come. There were years and years of trouble because of the way he managed his household. That's a word to you fathers. Something you really need to bear responsibility for. But still, still, Isaac was very correct in teaching them that nothing mattered so much as having the blessing that God had promised to their family. Now, what is it that makes this blessing so wonderful? What is it that God promises to be your God? And if God promises to be your God, that means you're going to be blessed forever. Remember what Jesus said about uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he said that God said he was their God? He said that means they're still alive. They're, they're, still, they're going to be resurrected because God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. If he's your God, it means you're blessed forever and ever. It surely then includes, what does this blessing include? Well, it surely includes full forgiveness of sins. No one can be blessed who is not at last forgiven. How could you be if you're not forgiven? Spoiling his image, forgiven for spoiling God's image by your sin, for ugly living. What does that call for? That calls for eternity in hell. That calls for eternal punishment. It calls for separation. You don't go about spoiling God's image, which you were created in, and not get punished for that. His blessing must also include deliverance from sin. That is, you need to be changed so that you're not going on in that sin. You need to be brought out of that sin, put off the old and put on the new to be renewed in the image of Him that created you, to to have beautiful and holy living where you have a true heart of devotion to God, where you love God as you should, and where you love your neighbor as you should. Beautiful living. God brings that about too. His blessing also must include, if He's going to bless someone, communion with Him. Intimate communion with God because we were made to have communion with God. Our hearts are empty and despairing and restless until we find our rest in God. We were made to behold His glory and to worship Him in spirit and truth. And we're always striving and empty until we find that glory that is only in God, our Creator. He made us to delight in that. When God blesses a people, He also restores them to paradise where sickness and death and sorrows are all banished. The the curse on the earth and the troubles and difficulties it brings in paradise is restored. 
That's what God promises when He says simply, I'll be your God. When He says simply, I will bless you. It contains all of that. It can't contain less than that because He's God. You can see how remarkable all this is if you will admit what God has revealed to all of us plainly. What has God revealed to all of us plainly? Even if we've never seen a Bible, He has revealed to us plainly that His, His eternal power and divine nature can see that through what he made he's also revealed to us that we're not right with him that we're sinners his wrath and judgment is seen there's death there's all the trouble in the world god didn't make the world like that and he's revealed that to us he's shown us that he's given us a conscience where we know that we have come short and if we accept that instead of suppressing that rejecting that pushing away because we don't like it so if we push it away then we have no appreciation for what is going on here But if we recognize and we accept what is revealed about our condition, then we see that there's salvation. And we say, this is amazing. This is unbelievable that God would have mercy on sinners like us. And like Jacob himself said, that I am not worthy of the least of your mercies. He grasped that. He understood that. He saw that this blessing was a wonderful thing. Now, I want to tell you that if you're part of the church, you're among those who have the promise of this blessing. It didn't say you necessarily will have that promise fulfilled, but you have the promise of the blessing as part of the people of God. The church is made up of those who profess their faith along with their children. Not everyone who's in the visible church will obtain this blessing. Jesus told us that. There'll be wheat and tares in the church. There'll be different kinds of ground that they're sown in. But the only ones who receive it are the ones who believe, who accept that they are sinners, that salvation is through the Son of God sent to His people, His only begotten Son who came to redeem us by dying on the cross, being punished for our sins. They are the ones who come to Christ, relying on Him to obtain this blessing that restores them to God as their God. They don't have any other way than the way that God has appointed. There's no other way even proposed whereby we may be saved. So some in the church only profess, but do not believe. They will have a measure of the blessing of the people of God. They may have prosperity in this world and to a certain extent, this life, but they'll be cut off in the day of judgment because they never trusted in God's salvation. Jesus himself is the one who actually received this blessing for all the rest of us. He saw that we were cut off from him and his father by our sin and he came to be the one that uh, he might be pun- that might be punished that would be punished in our place, and that he might raise us up to obedience. He obeyed for us, and he died for us. He met the standard of absolute purity, an ardent love for God that is required, and he bore the punishment for our violation of that, and he gave us the Holy Spirit who begins now and will at last complete that work of transformation of restoring us from a sinful heart to a holy life that that serves God with devotion. Jesus did all of this because he knew how wonderful it is to be blessed by the Father. And he wanted us to know that blessing, to have that blessing. And of course, the Father sent him to do this. The Father was in no way reluctant. He's the one that, that sent Jesus to do this. And Jesus obeyed. The Son loves us from before the foundation of the world, and the Father loves us before the foundation of the world. 
Jesus himself, now being not only God the Son, but also fully human, delights in this blessing for himself. He wants to have this blessing of eternal life in communion with God forever and ever in his human nature. And it is granted to him, you see, as the head of the church and to all of those that are in him. So what happens? The, the ancient promise, those that bless you, Jesus Christ being the head of those people, bless you, I will bless. Those that curse you, who reject Christ, I will curse. You'll be cut off. That's what that blessing is about. That's the blessing that everyone needs to, to seek. That's the wonderful blessing that without you will be cursed. Now, how's that blessing that uh, you told me that God promised you working out? Okay, let's imagine something here for a moment. That one of the great families of Ur, where Abraham comes from, he was called out of Ur, you know, and called to come to this land that he didn't know. And uh, one, of the, one of those great families says, hey, I wonder how Abraham's family is getting along. I mean, they knew that Abraham was probably dead by now, or might be dead by now. But they say, you know, let's, let's, go, let's go see how they're doing. Yeah, yeah. So one of, the, one of the great families goes on a visit. Now, in case you don't remember, Isaac's father Abraham was a, of a wealthy family that lived in a very wealthy and upscale city that in one of the finest in the ancient world. They had all kinds of luxuries. God called Abraham out of that to another land that he might bless him there. Now, of course, the people of Ur would be curious then about this family that had left, and how are they getting on now? How are you doing? So the friend comes, and he's a little surprised when he finds Isaac there. And uh, he's not living in a house with beautiful furnishings and with plumbing like they had in Ur and spaciousness, but he's living in tents. So he says to Isaac, so, you know, how's that blessing you were telling me about that you left to get a blessing from God or something? How is that going? How's that working out? Isaac says, well, well frankly, it's, it's been rather difficult. Some of the people here are quite lawless and you know, they don't have laws like we had back at home and uh, we're a little afraid of them sometimes. We don't know, you know, you're going to take our wives and commit adultery with them or we, we don't always know what they're going to do. Some of them kept filling up the wells that my father dug and I kept having to deal with that. They, my father dug these wells and they didn't want me there so they'd fill up the wells and we wouldn't have any water and I kept moving to another place and it was not easy, you know, and I didn't find in grasslands for our flocks and herds. Also, my wife was barren for 20 years, and I, it wasn't until I was 60 that uh, we finally had a, these twins. God gave us twin boys. But they were fighting with each other right from the beginning. And, you know, Rebecca and I are kind of divided now because she likes one of the twins. She likes uh, Jacob, and I like Esau. And I mean, Esau is a real, real manly guy. He's, you know, he's the kind of guy I would want to you know, lead me, lead my family because he's, you know, he's the firstborn, he's responsible, he's, he's like a guy that can go out and do things, and Jacob is kind of hanging out in the house, and, you know, I, I'm just not, I, I just don't, it, it, we're, we just can't see eye to eye on this with, like, Rebecca and I. She thinks the world of Jacob, but, you know, he's, he's too soft for me, but Esau is such a great guy. So, we have to deal with, um, with famines and stuff, too. We had to relocate a couple of times, and then we were 
afraid of the people where we went. We weren't sure what, how, if they were going to be hostile or how they were going to treat us. And, yeah, you know, Esau, he, he has made some kind of bad choices, but I, I think he's going to come around okay in the end. But the great thing about it all is that um, Isaac goes on and says, the great thing about it all is that we have God's blessing. We, God promises blessing. The friend goes, uh, yeah, you, so you're, you're telling me that things are kind of rough and you've got all the problems in your family and, all, all these, and, and you have God's blessing. So you left Ur for God's blessing and, and you have God's blessing? He looks at him a little bit with dismay. It doesn't sound like you really got what you were looking for. And Isaac says, you don't understand. The blessing is not for now. It is that God is going to make us a great nation years from now. In fact, we're going to be slaves before it even happens. And then, we, my father was told that, and then we're going to be made a great nation. That, and, and the promised son, the, the son that God promised Adam and Eve, remember that way back? That he promised a son that would come and would crush a serpent's head. That son's going to come from our family. God promised us that. We're not looking for a city here and now in this world. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, eternal in the heavens. God has been faithful to protect us here. He has answered our prayers to give us sons when our wives were barren. He has promised that he will bless us and our descendants. So like Isaac's friend, let me ask you, Christian, how is the thing with God working out? Profess faith in God. How's that working out for you? Depends on how you look at it, doesn't it? There are often a lot of frustrations, aren't there? You want to do good. Paul said it in Romans 7. I want to do good, but I find that evil is present with me. I still sin. You know, I'm not really sanctified the way I want to be. I want to, I want to love God. I want to love other people, and I keep coming short. You draw near to God, and sometimes you don't find them. There's dry times. You're tired of being disrespected because of your faith in the world. And sometimes it makes you less inclined to talk about God and the hope that you have. And not only that, but perhaps you're having problems with your health or with your finances or with relationships. Maybe you're unhappy at work. Maybe you've got division in your family. Maybe you and your spouse are divided. You know, you've got problems like, like Isaac and Rebecca did. You're concerned about the direction of the nation that you're in. You feel uneasy and insecure about it. Perhaps we could have asked Jesus that same question. Okay, so you came here to represent God in the world. You know, you know, how's, how's it going for you? Talking to him while he's on the earth. Well, they call me a man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief. It was he that said in Isaiah 50, I have labored in vain. I've done all this and no one is following. He saw 5,000 people that had the wrong idea about the Messiah that wanted to make him king. And when he told them the gospel, they all went away. Except his disciples, his few disciples. And he said, are you going to go away too? Preach the gospel. And they went away. 
there he is with them again, with his disciples again, and they confess that he's Christ, he tells them he's going to go to the cross, and they say, oh no, 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 you can't do that, that's not a good idea. And they're again saying to them on another occasion when they express hostility toward others, you don't know what spirit you're of, the guys that he's training. He says to them another time when they can't do what they need to do, how long am I going to be with you? How are you guys going to carry on after I'm gone? He says to them another time, O slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And there he is now. We see him weeping in the garden. Such agony that blood is oozing out of his pores. Sweat and blood oozing out of his pores. While his disciples are asleep, they don't care. They're not praying with him. There he is arrested, spit upon, forsaken by his disciples, pummeled by the Roman soldiers, mocked, ridiculed, and then upon the cross, rejected by earth, rejected by heaven, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How is that blessing thing working out that you came to bring to your people? How's that going? Yes, from Isaac we learn about the wonderful blessing, and we also learn about the frustration that God's people have in that blessing. And this is where Isaac's faith shines. This is where his faith shines. There are several ways Isaac's faith is a shining example. Isaac's faith is an example of believing what is not seen, but promised. As our text says, look at our text. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning what? Things to come. Things that were not yet seen. Faith lays hold of the blessing or the curse that God has spoken concerning the future. It is evidence of things. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It is based not on what we see, but on what God says. That's how it is that faith can go on rejoicing in God's promise with joy unspeakable, even though for the present time we must endure various trials and afflictions. When the friend comes and says, how's the promise working out? We can speak about how wonderfully gracious God has been to us when we're scorned, when we're rejected, because we're not judging with our senses what we have in this world, but we're believing what God has spoken. He believes what he cannot see because God has said it. The man of faith believes what he cannot see because God has said it. Question, do you do that? Do you base things on what God has said and promised? Or do you base things on what he's given you right now in this world where Jesus said you'll have tribulation? Second, Isaac's faith is an example of recognizing that it is up to God to decide who will do what in his kingdom. Isaac did not have such faith before the ordeal that was caused by his efforts to bless Esau. He foolishly took matters into his own hands because he trusted Esau with the special blessing that God had given to his family. And Esau was, after all, the firstborn. He did not stop to consider the oracle of God. He did not stop to inquire of the Lord what God had spoken about the twins, that the older would serve the younger. 
We might suppose that he avoided looking at that too closely because he did not want to know what the answer would be. Have you ever done that? That's a weakness of faith, isn't it? You, you don't really look at what God said because you don't really want to know what he said. You're clever enough to know. I, 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 don't, I think I might know what that is. I don't want to. I'm going to just kind of stay naive about that. Isaac is an example to us because though, because through the ordeal that resulted in Isaac inadvertently blessing Jacob, Isaac's faith was brought to a greater maturity. He came to realize absolutely God is the one who disposes this blessing, who gives this blessing to whoever he wishes. He came to see in this rather embarrassing way that it's up to God to decide. It's right for us to do what God has given us to do. We tell people of the hope that we have. We plead with people even to repent and believe. We, we plead in Christ's behalf to repent and be reconciled to God. We pray earnestly for God to save those that are, that, were, that are around us, to bring them to, we, we bring them to hear the word of God preach. We do the things God's given us to do. We're to do all that, but we must not go beyond what the Lord gives us in an effort to try to gather disciples. And the church does that all the time. And it's not right. Want some examples? Okay. We must not try to manipulate the kingdom as so many have done by changing the truth of God. So that it will be more attractive to the people in our day. That is done again and again and again. In denying hell. Because hell is not popular. So we won't talk about that. We'll just tell them about come to God and, and be blessed and have a friend. I'm not going to talk about hell because that might turn people off. Or in manipulating what the Bible says about homosexuality. That's an abomination. Or, about, or in following the traditions of men. And Jesus tells us not to follow the traditions of men. Or in bringing in celebrities to testify to people about Christ so that they'll want to follow Him because of the celebrity. Or in using special music to work up people's emotions or manipulate them or, or techniques that are employed to, to try to manipulate people into the kingdom. Like, that's when you're doing stuff that, like, like Jacob and his mother did. Or like Isaac was doing, trying to, trying to bless a guy that, okay, I'm going to lay this blessing on him and then he'll be blessed. You, you can't do that when God said this is the one that has that blessing. Isaac was a poor example of this at first. But by God's grace, in this very event, he learned the truth. We can be thankful that if we have indeed come to Christ to be saved and reconciled to God forever, we've got lots of errors. But he's working in us to lead us along and to bring us from where we are to where we need to be so that we can grow. Certainly did, uh, this, this error certainly did cause a lot of trouble. And if we go away from God's way, it will cause lots of trouble to our family, all kinds of trouble. But uh, eventually, if we're in Christ, he's going to lead us on. How much better it would have been if from the beginning, Isaac had accepted the oracle that Esau would be under Jacob and had brought his family, as I said earlier, to rejoice in that. He taught them to rejoice in the privilege that they had to be a part of that family and to have the salvation that God had given to that family. But he tried instead to make, take matters into his own hand, and God slapped him down graciously. Third, in Isaac's example, we see how this man of faith, Isaac has tremendous respect for the oracle that God has pronounced. 
Okay. He, he really grows in this situation. When Esau pleads for Isaac to bless him also, Isaac says of Jacob, I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. He knows that what he spoke was not his own wish. It was divine prophecy. He could not overturn it. He knew that in God's providence, whatever twisted measures were used, the one he had blessed was the one that would be blessed. He couldn't say, well, it's null and void because he lied to me. No, it was God's oracle that was spoken on that man. And and he had no control over where God's oracle went that he had spoken. He is absolutely confident now that God's word that he has spoken will be fulfilled. He had spoken it as a prophet. It will come to pass. Now, I wonder, do you have confidence in the oracles of God? God's word is remarkable. What he has spoken, he will do. And you know, everything hinges around what you think of that. If you don't believe that, when God talks about hell, you don't... When God talks about hell, you, 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 don't, you don't go for that. But when you believe what God says is what's going to happen, you have such faith that you will go forward in the blessing of God. God's word is remarkable. We need to live in the light of it. When it looks like God's kingdom is failing, it is then that faith must arise and say, no, God has spoken. He said, I will bless you. I will be blessed. He said, come to Christ and you will be saved. I will be saved. I'm struggling with my sin. I'm struggling with different things. Look to Christ. You'll be saved. That's the oracle of God. Take time. Listen carefully to what God says. Listen to his oracles. Receive them and believe them because they cannot be overturned. Fourth, in Isaac's example, learn to tremble before God. When Isaac realized that he had gone contrary to God's purpose in trying to bless the son that God had not intended to bless, and he realized what he had done, he trembles. He trembles with, with fear. He realizes that God is a holy God, and it horrifies him to realize what he had done. But yet, he finds comfort because he knows, again, the oracle of God, who said, I will bless you, that as he comes to God in faith, that he will be blessed. God is holy. He is not to be lightly esteemed. When you see that you have not honored him, it ought to make you tremble, but it also ought to bring you to joyful repentance and salvation, forgiveness for your sin, deliverance from your sin. So what is the condition of your faith? Is your faith like Esau's? You're only interested in what you get now in this world, and if there's nothing here, then eh, I'm not really interested. Is, is, that, is that the condition of your faith? Or is it like Jacob's and Rebecca's who thought they could channel the blessing where it was supposed to go by deception? You say, well, it worked, but it wasn't the right thing to do. It wasn't necessary. They learned better later. They should have been used honest means and trusted to them and left the matter in God's hands like Abraham did when he was told to offer up Isaac. He didn't try to get around it. He said, okay, I'll do what God says, and God will, it's up to God to take care of what he's promised. Remember that we looked at that last time? So their scheming caused them, even Jacob and Rebekah, who loved each other, they were separated for the rest of their lives because of what they had done, because they didn't follow what God had said. They had a hard life as a result. But yet, their faith was good because they trusted God, they looked to God for the blessing, and they never stopped doing that. And so, yeah, they, they will be in glory with us who, who believe. But there was a defect in their faith. 
And we have defects in our faith. So, yeah, we need to grow. And then there's Isaac. Faith that is growing to maturity as God works in you. Is that what your faith is? You learn as you go along. You do things that are not good. It's like uh, Rebecca and Jacob as well. But we're going to look at Jacob more in ne next time. But you, you grow as you go along because you believe and you trust in God. Okay, let's look to, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Please stand. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you for what you have done for us. The promise that you made to your people way long ago. A promise that was sometimes more couched and veiled. Especially at the beginning when you said that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. That had led them into deception and rebellion. That you would break that rebellion and that you would bring them into, back to you again. That they would rebel against the rebellion as it was. And they would come and serve you again. And that in that son that the blessing would come. And we thank you, Lord, that, that we see how that was fulfilled, that you later told Abraham that you would bless him and that that meant everything and that you would make him a blessing to his, his seed, a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And we see that that was fulfilled when our Lord Jesus came. The oracle of God stood sure and strong. We know that this promise was made long before it was fulfilled. And that cannot be denied. And yet, men will ignore that, that, was, that it is so, that the nations have come to, to this faith, to this hope in Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. We thank you, Lord, for what you have fulfilled, what you have done already. But we know that our Lord Jesus told us that even now in this world, that we would have even more trouble and sorrow than people did in the Old Testament because they didn't have as great light as we have. They didn't have the fullness of having God's Son revealed and all that we have now. They couldn't bear some of the afflictions that we're called to bear now, though we see that they bore them remarkably when they, when they came to them. But we also see, Lord, that now that there is often great persecution and we see those who have had relentless difficulties and troubles and yet, Lord, you have sustained them and held them up. Their faith has endured. And you've promised that our faith will endure. So we pray that you would help us, Lord. That we would have true faith to start with. And then that we look to you, O oh Lord, to preserve us and keep us. And that we would go forward, Lord, trusting you all the way. We thank you that we can count on you, Lord, to work in us and to deal with those defects that are in our walk and in our faith that you will work in us and we will grow as we go along in this world. Thank you so much, Lord, for the hope that you have given us in Jesus Christ. May we embrace it fully. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. As I do the benediction today, I just want to remind you that we do a benediction in the church. I am speaking in behalf of the Lord. It's not, I'm speaking prophecies that he has given oracles that he has given concerning his church and he says that when the one ministering does that that they pronounce God's name they put God's name upon you so that you're associated by that blessing with the oracles of God so it attaches you in that sense it's a declaration of that attachment I guess I should say it's a declaration of the attachment that you who believe have with God who blesses, so that you go forth then trusting in his blessing. So just as um, 
Isaac blessed uh, Jacob, and he put God's name upon him with that blessing that was promised concerning him. And it was an official declaration, an oracle of God, that he had that blessing. So uh, go forth then uh, trusting in God's pronouncement, his oracle that he makes. If you are one who is a believer in the church, this oracle is, is yours. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen.